Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, used to say, Satan never kicks a dead horse. Satan never kicks a dead horse. You know, for the nominal Christian who sporadically is involved in the life of their church, who rarely open up God's Word to read and study it, who who only, you know, occasionally prays, who never gives to or serves in their church, who never opens their mouth to share the gospel with someone, Satan's not threatened by them. They're powerless in their prayer. They're not speaking truth to culture. They're not bearing fruit. They're certainly not making disciples. They're already doing exactly what Satan wants them to do. Nothing. But for the growing Christian who is actively involved in the life of their church, who is seeking daily to walk in the way of Jesus, who is striving to live faithfully and obediently, they're a threat. When they get on their knees in prayer, Satan trembles. When they open their Word to study and read God's Word, Satan starts to sweat. When they are faithfully and actively serving in and through their church and giving to their church and worshiping with their church, Satan begins to panic. And when they begin to share their faith with other people and lead people to faith in Jesus and make disciples, Satan goes on the attack. Satan never beats a dead horse. Are you a dead horse? Is Satan threatened by you in any way? The full armor of God is necessary for those Christians who understand that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. AWOL Christians don't need the armor of God, do they? They've already removed themselves from the fight. I'm not saying they've lost their salvation, although I would say that they, some of them might need to consider if they truly were ever saved to begin with. But at the very least, they've lost the mission. They've lost the peace of God. They've lost the joy of their salvation. And if this morning you're squirming in your seat already thinking that I've just described you, I pray this message will be a rallying cry for you to repent. Take up and put on the full armor of God and rejoin the fight. That's my goal for our message this morning. We must recognize our enemy, make use of the protection and the weapons that God has already given us to resist Satan's attacks and his schemes and march in the power of the Spirit. We need to cinch tight the belt of truth around our waist, put firmly the breastplate of righteousness on our chest, And we need to strap on our feet the gospel shoes of peace. We are together in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read beginning in verse 13, and I hope that you are working on memorizing this, committing this passage to memory. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming swords of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Let's pray together right now. Father, we are grateful for already experiencing Your presence today and hearing Your Word being spoken and sung. And, and we, God, we just praise You for that. And we pray that You would take Your Word now and open up our hearts and minds to understand what You would have us to hear today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shoes go with readiness, don't they? I mean, if you're like me, your shoes are one of the last things you put on before you leave the house and go out into the world. And, and maybe as parents, you know, you have found yourself at times saying to your kids, get your shoes on, it's time to go, right? And if you say, if you ask your kids if they're ready to go and you look at their feet and there's no shoes on them, are your kids ready to go? No. And you say, what are you doing? Get your shoes on. We've got to go. Shoes go with this idea of readiness. And that's why Paul talks about that in this part of the, of the passage, the readiness for the gospel of peace. The sandals of the gospel of peace are meant to make us ready, to prepare us to stand firm and to fight. They're both defensive and offensive. They're defensive in that they led us to plant our feet and to stand our ground and withstand Satan's attacks, but they're also offensive in that they enable us to move forward and to carry out the gospel mission that Jesus Christ has given us. Now, a Roman soldier would prepare for battle by lacing up his caligi. Caligi is that Latin word for these sandals that were kind of like sandals, but also like, like boots. They were boot-like sandals. Uh, and in the same way as believers, we must be prepared to march out into the spiritual battleground around us every day and share the good news of Jesus with a lost and dying world. Our footwear is important. Anyone who's been in the military will tell you, or anybody who's been hiking a lot will tell you that footwear is important. Battles have been won or lost, depending on the quality or lack thereof of a particular battalion's footwear. You just think back in American history alone, how uh, the, the, the Valley Forge, Washington's troops in Valley Forge over that winter, many of them died. They lost feet because of frostbite. They didn't have adequate shoes. The same happened at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. So from the Revolutionary War to World War II, the importance of your shoes... Many Civil War soldiers lost their legs or died because of gangrene, because of a lack of proper footwear. And so it's significant that Paul says that Christians' feet must be shod with gospel boots. One of the most vital ways we can be prepared in this fight against the dark spiritual forces in the world is to have the kind of feet that are prepared and ready to carry the gospel. Now, of course, when we talk about feet and shoes today, we're speaking metaphorically. Because the way to really be prepared to live out and to share the gospel is to have our minds and our heart prepared, right? So as this morning we talked about feet and shoes, just be thinking about that and asking yourself, is my mind prepared to share the gospel of peace? Do I know the gospel well enough to explain it to someone? Can I explain it simply so that a child could understand it? Have I memorized a, a method of sharing the gospel or some scripture passages like the Roman road? Have I got my own testimony down where I could share it with someone in a few short minutes? Is my mind prepared? That's something all of us can do with just a little bit of time and effort. 
And is my heart prepared? Am I so in love with Jesus that I can't help but talk about Him with other people? Is my heart burdened for the lost people that I see around me every day that are in desperate need of God's saving grace? Is my heart ready? So this morning, let's consider that battle shoes are meant to help us in two main areas. With stability and with mobility. So first, let's think about the stability in the gospel. The gospel readies us to stand our ground. Those Roman caligae were boot-like sandals that had that extra support for the ankles so they wouldn't twist their feet as they marched or as they fought. They had tough leather soles that were heavily studded with these metal cleats in the bottom so that they wouldn't slip and slide in the battlefield, that as they stood against the enemy's advances, they could stand firm. I'd say it's not that different than what you see on the football fields today. Those cleated shoes that help you grip the turf. These cleats gave them great traction because Romans fought often in hand-to-hand combat. They needed to be able to stand firm. And in the same way, the gospel secures us, keeps us firmly in place so we can stand our ground and not give Satan an inch. Now, I want to look at two ways specifically the gospel gives us stability. First, there's the stability of gospel peace. I think it's interesting that Paul, of all the qualities of the gospel he could have focused on here, he focuses on it as the gospel of peace. And I find that interesting because is this not a passage about warfare? He's writing a passage about spiritual warfare and he chooses to talk about the gospel of peace. Why is that? Well, I think it's to remind us that we don't fight the way the world fights. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers in the heavenly realms. We don't use conventional weapons. We don't march in this fight to take life, but to offer life to people. And we are willing in this fight for peace to even lay down our lives as Christ laid down His life for us. In the Jewish mind, peace, the Hebrew word is shalom, means so much more than just an absence of conflict. It means well-being, wholeness, blessing and prosperity. The good news of Jesus is that He came to make us whole. He came to this broken world to bring wholeness to it. He came to save us from the sickness of sin so that we could experience true well-being and blessing. That's the good news. And isn't that what everybody really is desperate for these days? Peace and well-being and wholeness. They just don't know how to look for it in the right places, do they? Some recent studies tell us that nearly 80% of Americans report they regularly experience the physical symptoms of stress. 75% said that they experience the psychological effects of stress. So we're a stressed out nation. Depression worldwide is the leading cause of disability. Depression. 40 million American adults suffer from anxiety disorders of one kind or another. 80 million of us have high blood pressure and one in three deaths is caused by a heart attack or stroke. What's going on? People are literally dying in their quest for peace, for wholeness and well-being. They just don't know where to look for it. But guess what? We know. We know the Prince of Peace. 
We know that Jesus is the only one who can meet this critical demand in our world. And we have that good news that peace with God is possible. Paul writes in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives us of our sin. He makes us right with God. He offers us ultimate and everlasting peace with God. When we have peace with God, it means we don't have to fear anything from anyone, even Satan. When we have peace with God, it means that we can also enjoy the peace of God. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, "...and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is beyond our comprehension." will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. The peace of God. Look, the peace of God that we put upon our shoes, the gospel of peace, also guards our heart. It also guards our mind in Christ Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7 to cast all our cares on Him. All that anxiety, all that stress, we can cast it upon Him because He cares for us. We can have peace with God. We can have the peace of God. Kent Hughes wrote about this in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, those who first have peace with God and then the corollary peace of God, girding their feet are powerful soldiers in the spiritual battle. No matter what the enemy throws at them, no matter what move the enemy makes, they hold their ground. In other words, the stability of gospel peace results in the stability of gospel security. We can be secure in the gospel. Now, tragically, there are many Christians that never lace up these gospel boots of peace and security. And so they're not grounded in their faith. They're spiritually shallow. They're prone to stray. They're easily deceived by Satan's deceiving doctrines and seduced by the world's empty philosophies. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the deconstruction movement, which you see a lot in social media. It's real popular on TikTok, where people try to tear apart Christian ethics and theology and the tradition that maybe they were raised in, all in favor of the current fads in morality and philosophy that change every five minutes. They're swept away in the shifting sands of now because they've never anchored, they've never rooted themselves on the solid rock of biblical truth that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're adrift. They're lost at sea. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there aren't traditions and interpretations we personally may hold of the Bible that need to be questioned and examined. There are. But the only standard against which we can measure those things is the Bible. I mean, how crazy would it be to throw away the level because the wall is crooked? That's exactly what the deconstruction movement does. It says the world is crooked, I'm going to throw away the level. Author J.D. Peabody wrote about this. He said, disbelief, adopted as a permanent posture, cannot ultimately land anywhere. Inquiry becomes simply an exercise in proving everything can be dismantled rather than an honest search for what is true and real. Yet sometimes we do allow man-made traditions and personal preferences and the opinions of others. Sometimes we let those become obstacles that get in our way and trip us up. And we need to cast off anything 
that hinders us from running the race with endurance. Sometimes you do get some gravel in your boot and you have to take it off and shake it out, right? But listen to me clearly. The gospel isn't threatened by honest scrutiny or debate. It isn't. Don't be afraid of that. The Bible's withstood 2,000 years of far worse. I think it can handle your questions. I think it can withstand your doubts. It's essential to know and understand what the Bible teaches, what we believe, why we believe it. That's why I spent half the year last year going through the Baptist faith and message. We need to know how to address honest questions and doubts. Part of gospel readiness is being certain of our own salvation, of our own relationship with God, and a good soldier of the cross must be settled on the basic truths that they believe. When a soldier is grounded in God's Word and in their relationship with Him, listen, they could could withstand the enemy's fiercest attacks when you're firmly grounded in God's Word. But listen... The shoes in God's armor are more than just for us to stand firm, right? I mean, a Roman soldier was expected to do more than just stand. They also had to advance, right? They had to move. So we go from the stability of the gospel to mobility with the gospel. There's a mobility here. God gave us gospel shoes, right? That implies mobility in our salvation. So these shoes the Romans would wear, these caligia, they, they would lace these things up, not just to stand their ground, but to help them move with agility, with endurance and with speed. I want to think about those three things. The agility of gospel freedom. The agility of gospel freedom. Let's go back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And the time for their deliverance has come. God has heard their cries and He calls Moses to be His general to lead them to freedom. But they're up against a much stronger force, aren't they? Egypt, much stronger than them, not stronger than God. Egypt and Pharaoh. And so Moses tells Pharaoh, look, you've got to let my people go. And Pharaoh refuses. Now, God, remember, he doesn't, con- he doesn't fight with conventional weapons. He likes to use things like rivers of blood and buckets of frogs and flies and gnats and darkness, right? And then his Abom the death of the firstborn male throughout the land. All because Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go free. Now the day before this final tragic plague that would so break Egypt and Pharaoh that they would be begging Israel to leave, the day before this happens, God gave Moses clear instruction on what to do so that this plague of death would pass over the firstborn of Israel. And so he tells them that they had to, to sacrifice a spotless year old lamb to put its blood on the doorposts and they're to cook it and eat it in their home with unleavened bread. And this was the first Passover meal. And as soon as they finished this meal, God said, it's going to be time to load up, get everything you've got, everything the Egyptians are going to be throwing at you to get you to leave, and you've got to go. So listen to this particular instruction that God gives in Exodus twelve eleven. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. Did you get that? To experience the deliverance of God, their salvation, 
to experience freedom from slavery, they had to be ready to go. Dressed for travel, staff in hand, sandals on their feet. God's deliverance was going to come swiftly and they had to be able to move with agility when that moment came. When Jesus saves us from slavery to sin, when He sets us free to an abundant life and an eternal life, making peace between us and God, we have to be ready to move. The readiness of the Gospel brings spiritual freedom. God gives us Gospel shoes, this this ability, this agility to move quickly, to leave behind your past to leave behind your sin and your shame and to follow Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. The old is gone. It's behind you. There's new in front of you. In Ephesians 4, Paul says to take off our filthy rags of sin and put on Jesus' robes of righteousness. In Colossians 3, he tells us that we are to put to death the former ways in which we used to walk because now we are in Christ. The old is gone. It's in the past behind us. There's something new here. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. In Philippians, he tells us to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. He says to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews, we're told to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us so we can run with endurance the race that lies ahead of us. We've got to be ready to leave behind what was and to pursue into what is and what will be in Jesus Christ. Even Jesus Himself said, no one who puts His hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God's saving grace gives us the means of escaping our old way of life. The shoes of gospel readiness allow us to flee temptation, to flee our fears, to flee our doubts, and to pursue constantly and consistently a life of freedom in Christ Jesus. But we've got to be ready. We've got to be agile to experience this freedom because the devil is always there waiting to ensnare us. That brings us to the second way in which gospel shoes help us to be mobile that gives us endurance for the gospel journey. See, a Roman soldier had to be able to march and march great distances over difficult terrain. The Roman Empire was vast. It was 1.7 million miles And much of it had to be traversed over that famous network of Roman roads, right, that went all over the place. Now, true, sometimes they could move troops across the the Mediterranean Sea there by boat, but oftentimes the life of a Roman soldier involved lots and lots of marching. Typical Roman soldier would spend far more time marching than they would ever spend in combat. And for this reason, the Romans invented... What was what's called the loaded march as a training technique that's still used to this day. And what the Romans would do is they would have to carry a 45-pound pack on an 18-mile march, and they had to do it in less than six hours. That was the first round. They passed that. The second round, they had to do the same thing, but 24 miles in six hours. They had to pass both of those tests before they could advance to weapons training which tells us that the Romans valued your ability to take care of your feet and march long distances as much as your ability to wield a sword. 
Because if you couldn't get there, what good were you, right? You had to be able to march. But listen, marching isn't fun, is it? Nobody likes marching. It's not exciting. Nobody joins the army because they want to march. We don't like to march. But marching was an essential part of being a soldier. And listen, I believe that for Christians, our biggest battle is the march. The daily plodding forward, one step at a time. Those baby steps, those day by day, minute by minute decisions and actions and obediences and sacrifices that we have to make, the repetitive nature every day of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. The march is where so many of us fail. And we need good shoes to wear to help us faithfully follow Jesus wherever He leads. And it does. It takes patience. It takes endurance. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a long march. Eugene Peterson, famous for the message paraphrase of the Bible, he wrote a book on discipleship, and I love what he titled it. He titled it, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What did he mean by that? Well, we live in a fast-paced culture that wants instant results, right? Microwave everything. Fast internet speeds. I can pull up my phone and see somebody and talk to them around the world like that. But the Christian life isn't like that. It's a slow growth. It's a lifelong process. Listen, we, we are so easily enamored by the big and flashy, by the, the big flashy Christian conferences and events and the, the youth camps and the revival services because it's so easy to get caught up and energized by the crowd. Right? When everybody's saying, raw, raw Jesus, it's easy to say, raw, raw Jesus, Right? When everybody else is standing up to make decisions, oh, it's easy to stand up and make a decision. What about the next week? What about the daily grind at work and home and school? That's what God is interested in. He's interested in the daily commitment to follow Him. The day-in, day-out journey of growing in Christ-likeness. When we ready our feet with the Gospel... It keeps our hearts aflame with passion for living for Jesus and sharing His good news with others. And that brings us to the last piece of mobility here, and that is the speed of gospel hope. When we're walking in the freedom of the gospel, when we're faithfully marching along in those daily simple acts of faithfulness that maybe no one else ever sees, growing in Christ-likeness through that daily discipleship, listen, the payoff, The fun part is that we then get to run with hope and share the good news of this gospel of peace with a lost and dying world. That's the payoff. Isaiah 52.7, we heard it in our Old Testament reading this morning. It's this beautiful picture of the people in Jerusalem that have suffered so much finally getting news that their salvation is coming. And it says, how beautiful on the mountains, the mountains that are surrounding the city of Jerusalem, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald. So imagine you're in Jerusalem and you see over the Mount of Olives somebody coming up over that mountain running, running down the hill, proclaiming peace, bringing news of good things, proclaiming salvation, saying to Zion, your God reigns. It's a powerful picture. And in Romans chapter 10, Paul quotes this to explain to us the importance 
of having these beautiful feet prepared with the gospel. He says, how then can anyone call on Him, on Jesus, that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, when you read preacher there, don't think of just a guy in a suit in the pulpit. That means anybody who's proclaiming, any herald who's delivering that good news. How can anyone hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What greater joy could there be for a soldier than to get to run back home with the good news of victory? To be able to run to those who are being oppressed and proclaim their freedom to them. What greater honor and joy could there be than to shout the news of victory and hope and relief? That's no burden. It's a delight. It's a joy. It's an honor. That's why most, the most victorious Christians you'll ever meet are witnessing Christians. Christians who love to proclaim the good news. When we put on the shoes of the gospel, it makes our feet beautiful because we are bringing first-hand knowledge. Not some second-hand report. Not some rumor. We're bringing personal first-hand knowledge of the victory and the peace and the freedom that Jesus brings. Why wouldn't we shout that boldly and joyfully? But we usually don't. We're timid. We're shy. We're quiet. We keep this good news to ourselves. Why? Maybe you've seen pictures like the ones that are going to be appearing on the screen of VE Day and VJ Day. Victory in Europe Day, Victory in Japan Day. At the end of World War II. Why aren't we like this as we get to tell people that they can have freedom from sin? Forgiveness for their past. They can have a fresh start in their lives. Where's the joy and the excitement for that coworker, that classmate, that lifelong friend, or that new neighbor that you get to tell them the good news that God loves them and that God sent His Son Jesus to die for them and that He rose from the dead and is alive today, that He's coming again someday to make all things new and that they can be a part of this amazing story? Where's the excitement and the joy in getting to tell them that they can be forgiven of their sins? They can have all their shame and their guilt washed away. They can know peace and joy like they've never experienced before. Why aren't we that excited? Our marching orders are to proclaim everywhere we go the good news of VJ Day. Victory in Jesus' day. The day that you encountered a holy God, but rather than say, woe is me, you said, praise the Lord, because Jesus Christ forgave you and washed you clean and made you new. Amen. Victory in Jesus' day. Listen, as we march for peace, know that everywhere you step, you step in victory. Amen. And we're supposed to be inviting others to enlist, to join up and be a part of this march for peace and freedom and victory. Have you experienced victory in Jesus over your sins? Have you experienced victory in Jesus over your past guilt and shame? If you've, if you've never had a VJ day of your own where you came to realize that you were lost in your sins and that God loved you enough to provide a way for forgiveness and you said, God, forgive me for my sins. I want Jesus to live in my heart and I'm going to live for Him. If you've never had a VJ day, 
I invite you to come today, right now, here in just a moment. You can experience victory in Jesus. You can experience that peace and joy, that forgiveness, that freedom that Jesus Christ came to bring to you. I invite you to come in just a moment and experience that. Don't leave this place in, in, in slavery to sin. Don't leave this place weighed down by guilt and shame. Maybe for you, you've done that. You know that you've done that, but you've never been baptized. You've never publicly proclaimed that. Maybe this morning God would have you to come and say, I do know Jesus. I've experienced His victory, and I want everybody to know it. I want to join this church through baptism. Maybe you are a baptized Christian, and you're a member of another church, but you believe that God has brought you and your family here to First Baptist Thompson. Just as He brought the Balaks to unite with us, to stand and fight here to proclaim that good news here, to strap on those gospel boots here with this people to proclaim that good and beautiful news. I invite you to come. You may be saying, well, David, I'm a Christian, I'm baptized, and I'm a member of the church. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Maybe you've taken those shoes off and you've left them there by the door. You've been going out into the world and you've not been putting on those gospel shoes of peace. Maybe it's been making you struggle in your own walk with Christ. Maybe it's left you weak and powerless and afraid to tell anybody else about Him. I invite you to come to this altar and say, Jesus, help me every day to put on Your gospel shoes. Make my feet beautiful so I can tell others the good news. Whatever God is speaking to your heart, as we stand and sing, I invite you to come. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the good news of the gospel that none of us, none of us deserve your blessing. None of us deserve your favor. None of us deserve for you to even hear our prayers. But in your mercy and grace and peace that are beyond our understanding, you made a way for us to be made right with you, to experience peace with you so that we could have your peace in this world. God, I pray if anybody here needs to respond today in any of the ways that we've talked about, to, to ask Jesus into their life, to declare that publicly through baptism, to not with this church or just to recommit themselves, to, to re-enlist and to join that fight. Maybe they've been AWOL. They want to come back and be proclaimers of your peace. I pray, God, we will be obedient to you, not just now, but as we go out these doors. In Jesus' name we pray.